I know there are people that are convinced the election was fraught with problems, but the evidence, the actual evidence, the facts, tell us a different story. Oh, evidence and facts now, eh? What next? (laughs) Republican Secretary of State. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico. On KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe on the internets as well. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. (sighs) Says me. From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today with just 44 days until Inauguration Day, perhaps the longest 44 days in human history. 30 days until the Electoral College votes are accepted or not by Congress. That's January 6th, if you want to mark your calendar now. That'll probably be a big day, a little bit of drama, I suspect. Uh, 29 days now until uh, Election Day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs to uh, determine the control of the U.S. Senate. Uh, That's on January 5, but early voting starts December 14, so uh, get ready, Georgia. There are now seven days until the Electoral College casts its vote to finalize election 2020, at least in theory, on December 14, and now the federal statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving all state election electoral college disputes Well, that's pretty much right now. uh, Tuesday, December 8, this all must be settled at the state level, at least in theory. That's uh, how this uh, there's a mandatory statutory deadline from the Electoral Count Act of 1887. And whether it is actually mandatory or not, that is up for question this year, particularly with a very curious, perhaps even arguably troubling Move that was made over the weekend by U.S. Supreme Court uh, Justice Sam Alito. So, hey, 
Welcome to the Bradcast, still and once again here in Southern California, radio to quarantine by. We will get to that curious move by Sam Alito in a little bit. Uh, but at the end of Friday's Bradcast, Desi Doyen, I think uh, you had been feeling moderately better, as I recall, about the possibility that the monster was actually dead, that it was okay to begin walking away from the dead monster <laughs> and that the bloody axe sitting right by his body was was no longer in his hand based on an announcement last week by Justice Sam Alito. Uh, do, do I recall that correctly? Yes, yes. And I said, maybe. I said, I feel a little slightly better, but I knew that there remain, I yes. know that there remain X factors. Yes. Well, it would hardly be a horror movie. Uh, if it didn't include a big surprise scare after we all thought that the all possibility for the monster to come back to life turned out to be a false comfort. So, uh, as I say, more on what Sam Alito did over the weekend in a bit. Be afraid. Be mm, moderately afraid. How's that? <laughs> That'll work. Okay. First up, however, a few other semi-related matters before we get to the president's latest embarrassing beatdowns in state and federal courts all across the country as he continues to challenge the results of the 2020 election without any actual evidence that he actually, you know, won it. But mm, evidence uh, not satisfied with incompetence and simply a lack of effort to prevent the deaths of nearly 300,000 Americans over the past nine months or so during the worst pandemic in more than 100 years uh, during the covid crisis. The Trump administration is also working hard now to ensure the continuing unnecessary deaths each year of nearly 50,000 Americans each and every year, despite, despite scientific recommendations from his own administration scientists to make changes to pollution regulations that could save the lives of tens of thousands of Americans each year. But, of course, saving American lives in this case might cost a few corporate Dollars, profits, I guess. Uh, so, you know, we'd hate to see that kind of tragedy happen in America. That would be really sad. The Trump administration on Monday declined to tighten controls on industrial soot emissions, disregarding an emergency scientific uh, link between dirty air and COVID-19 death rates recognized by his own EPA scientists. In one of the final policy moves of an administration that has spent the past four years weakening or rolling back more than 100 environmental regulations meant to protect Americans, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency completed a regulation that keeps in place rather than tightening rules on tiny lung damaging industrial particles, even though the agency's own scientists have warned about the links between the pollutants and respiratory illness. Public health experts say that the rule defies scientific research. Well, there's a surprise, including the work of the EPA's own public health experts, which indicates that this, partic this particulate matter, uh, this pollution, contributes to tens of thousands of premature deaths annually, as many as 50,000 American lives each year, and that even a slight tightening of controls on fine soot could save 
more than 10,000 American lives each and every year. Desi Doyen, you have covered this and many of the other anti-science corporate-friendly regulations from the administration over the past four nightmarish years on our Green News Report, and I suspect you'll have more on this tomorrow on uh, on our on our GNR on the broadcast tomorrow. But yeah. are you surprised at this decision on the way out the door, Des? To be frank, no, I'm not. I mean, it's a really sad and terribly damaging decision for them to have made. I mean, let's let's be clear what we're talking about. Soot are these teensy, tiny little particles of pollution that come from the incomplete combustion of fossil fuels. These particles are so tiny, like one-tenth the size of a human hair, that they can get into the heart and the lungs and the bloodstream. They're associated with all kinds, well, as you said, about forty-five to 50,000 premature deaths of mm-hmm. Americans alone every single year from heart attacks, strokes, asthma, lung cancer. So back in April, researchers at Harvard University released the first nationwide study that actually linked this long-term exposure to these teeny tiny particles to higher death rates from COVID-19. So if you have long-term exposure to this kind of air pollution, you are far more likely to die from COVID-19. And of course, this is something that occurs at the highest rates, this uh, this soot pollution, Mm -hmm. in the highest rates around industrial areas. And surprise, that happens to be where primarily low-income and uh, communities of color happen Mm -hmm. to live. They happen to be located near these polluting industries. So this is environmental racism in action. And the one thing I want to point about about this is that uh, the Biden administration could roll this back. Uh, They have the scientific basis in order to justify rolling it back, but it will take years because it takes time to develop Mm -hmm. a new rule, to have the public comment for that rule, and then go through the inevitable years of litigation as the industrial pollution community decides to sue to stop it. Did you call them the industrial pollution community? Yes, I did. (laughs) Lack of better words. Yeah. And they, you know, they're supposed to review this rule every four years, I guess, and check every five years, check with the scientists. And Uh, tighten it by law. And the scientists said, yeah, we could save at least 10,000 lives. Uh, I think they came out to uh, annual deaths if they, if the, if the rule was tightened just a little bit. Just a little. It would fall by about 20. The deaths would uh, death rate would fall by about 27 percent. That amounts to more than 12,000 people a year. Now, in November of last year, during the public comment period, uh, comments from 13 industrial groups. These would be the industrial polluters, Desi was talking about, including the American Petroleum Institute. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce, that's the nation's largest Republican lobbying group. Uh, Actually, that's the nation's largest lobbying group, period. Uh, The National Mining Association, the Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers, uh, they wrote, quote, significant uncertainty remains about the relationship between exposure to uh, PM25, that's this particulate matter, and adverse effects on public health. So in other words, the jury is still out on the science, Desi Doyen. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> From all of the polluters, because yep. that's what they do. Now, that's what they you know, do. Now, the, the idea that the Biden administration can roll this back, that's a fantastic option, but it's going to take years, which means if 10,000 people a year die, that's going to be you know anywhere between 10 to 20 to 30 to 40,000 Americans who don't have to die pre prematurely because of this rule. So there is one step. But but the Trump administration wants them to die. Let's be clear. And after they've presided over nearly 30, uh, 300,000 deaths 
in America under COVID when they could have taken action to stop a huge number of those. Why the hell should they care about, oh, well, so we'll lose another 10, 12,000 Americans. What do we care? America is great again, after all. At least our American cemeteries are, I guess. Well, there is a faster way to protect those lives, and that is if voters in Georgia vote in the January runoffs. If that's something that you care about, then there is an actual tool that Congress can use called the Congressional Review Act. But it requires having both houses of Congress and the White House agree to roll back rules that are called midnight regulations. Mm -hmm. They're done in the last six months of the previous administration. That law allows Congress to do that, but in order for Democrats to be able to roll back these kinds of last minute midnight rules that kill people, then uh, they would have to have control over the Senate. And of course, that is up in the January 5th runoffs in Georgia. So Georgia voters can actually save lives if they turn out and vote. In other news, as we can't get this monster out of the White House fast enough, uh, some of his top goons are now considering getting out right now while the getting is good. Monster henchman and Attorney General Bill Barr is said to be considering heading for the hills after he upset Donald Trump last week by telling the truth about the 2020 election results, telling AP that the Justice Department had, quote, seen fraud, had seen no fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. That comment, of course, as we detailed last week, reportedly enraged the president. And on Monday, The New York Times is reporting that Barr is now weighing whether to depart before Trump leaves office in January and before Trump has the chance to fire him. CNN later confirmed the uh, Times reporting. The Washington Post and NBC News, meanwhile, have reported that the president is weighing whether or not to fire Bill Barr. They were such a loving couple. Uh, So perfect for each other, really, in so many ways. Uh, Watching this slow motion breakup is, uh, well, sad. (laughs) Get out your Kleenexes. Yeah. Also sad, uh, watching all of Trump's great legal team. He hires, you know, only the best people uh, coming under fire from actual lawyers and judges and former Justice Department uh, officials who aren't corrupt monsters of the uh, of the Trump administration, arguing that, quote, a license to practice law is not a license to lie. Nearly 1,500 lawyers issued a letter on Monday calling on bar associations across the country to investigate and, if needed, penalize the members of Trump's legal team, including the architect of his ingenious so far post-election strategy, the now COVID-stricken Rudy Giuliani. The letter says it is indefensible for lawyers to falsely proclaim widespread voting fraud, submit a pattern of frivolous court claims and actively seek to undermine citizens' faith in our election's integrity. The letter was signed by several former judges, former prosecutors, law professors. They said we condemn this conduct without reservation. The letter comes as Trump and his Republican allies have lost or withdrawn now from nearly 50 legal challenges to this year's election, according to The Times. That number, in fact, may now be more than 50 as of this afternoon since The Times first reported this story, uh, including 
uh, among the cases uh, lost uh, five cases in five different states within about three hours on Friday evening alone. We'll try to get you caught up on uh, on at least some of those disastrous cases for Team Trump that came since we got off air on Friday uh, shortly. Even so, Trump's lawyers and those representing his Republican allies have continued filing still more evidence-free or simply unlawfully late lawsuits igniting criticism that they are acting frivolously and, yes, irresponsibly. In their letter on Monday, these 1,500 lawyers uh, noted that Giuliani, who recently tested positive for COVID-19, has made baseless arguments in public about, quote, massive fraud in the election, but has failed to show or even argue such evidence in actual court proceedings, conceding under questioning from judges that, yeah, they're not really alleging fraud at all in court. And that's a fact that may come as a surprise to many of Trump's wingnut supporters who have uh, you know, sent him hundreds of millions of dollars to the campaign to combat what the campaign has lied to them about was, you know, massive fraud in the 2020 election, when in fact those dupes and suckers are merely lining Trump's post-election pockets. No, he has no actual evidence of fraud. That's why they're not arguing it in court. Giuliani's aim is obvious, the letter reads, to fuel Trump's campaign to delegitimize the outcome of the election. Letter also takes aim at another former uh, Trump lawyer. No, he's not former. He's a current, another lawyer for Trump. He's still, I don't think he's fired him. Joe DeGeneva, who last week publicly threatened Chris Krebs, the former director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, who was fired by Trump after he declared that the 2020 election was the most secure in American history. During an interview on the wingnut TV news outlet Newsmax, DeGeneva, who is a member of the bar in D.C., he's even a former U.S. attorney, this guy, who certainly should know better. He uh, went on uh, on Newsmax and said that because Krebs, uh, because of his remarks, that he should be, quote, taken out at dawn and shot. Now, do you think that's a good idea to tell to uh, Trump's, uh, I don't know, brain poisoned supporters at this point who have been told that their country is under siege, is under attack by the president himself? Oh, but here's someone you can go out and shoot. For the moment, there are still a handful of uh, of challenges to the election that have not yet been tossed out and continue to move through the court, uh, including an emergency petition by Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Mike Kelly requesting the Supreme Court hear his appeal of a lawsuit seeking to invalidate that state's election results entirely on an incredibly dubious basis. Yet late last week, Supreme Court Justice Sam Alito agreed to review the appeal, but in a way that led many legal experts to believe he was largely planning to dismiss the matter or kick it down the road beyond the uh, 2020 election. Well, that may have changed over the weekend. But as I said, we'll we'll get to that in a bit. There are still uh, some state cases still live in Georgia and Arizona and a federal case filed by the Trump campaign in Wisconsin, though that one does not look good for Team Trump either. Based on comments late Friday, 
from a Trump-appointed judge uh, who declared uh, the remedy sought by the plaintiffs to basically throw out all of the results as insane and bizarre. Sidney Powell, who was until recently a lawyer for Trump, uh, she was tossed under the bus after she told Georgia Republicans that they should boycott the critical U.S. Senate runoffs that Desi was referring to uh, that will determine control of the U.S. Senate uh, in January. Uh, She filed four federal cases of her own in Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan and Arizona. On Monday, a federal judge dismissed her case in Georgia after hearing in Atlanta today, a hearing in Atlanta today. And another judge in Michigan denied her emergency request to overturn the state's election. Amongst other things... The George W. Bush-appointed U.S. District Judge criticized Powell's failure to timely challenge Georgia's use of Dominion Voting System touchscreen ballot marking devices, or BMDs, at the time when Georgia first decided to use them last year. That's according to Bradblog legal analyst Ernie Canning. Uh, He told me about uh, listening to the court proceedings on Monday morning. Of course, we on the show have been reporting and warning about those very systems in great detail, those unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, uh, for years now. Republicans have been opposing the court challenges from the Coalition for Good Governance trying to ban the use of those machines. Republicans have been trying to stop what the Coalition has been doing. The Coalition has been trying to get rid of those machines long ago. Canning told me this morning that uh, Powell correctly claimed that those machines, those BMDs, ballot marking devices, were vulnerable to malicious manipulation. But he adds that that doesn't establish that such manipulation, in fact, actually occurred during the November 3rd election. And I keep hearing from folks on Twitter, and I'd love to hear from you as well. I am, you can follow me there. I am the Brad blog about how, Brad, you used to talk about how these machines could be used to steal elections. But now that your guy has won, they think they know who my guy is. Now that your guy has won, you say it's impossible for these machines to steal elections. Let me make this crystal clear. These machines can absolutely be programmed to steal elections. These machines can be misprogrammed and accidentally steal elections. That is in no way the same as saying these machines stole the election. For that, you need actual evidence to demonstrate that case, at least if you're going to use those machines. I've been trying to stop using those machines for more years than I care to mention at this point. But Republicans, the very same ones who are now pretending they are against these machines, those have been the folks who have been pushing for these machines and calling people like me conspiracy theorists and sore losers for even mentioning it. As Ernie Canning uh, wrote in one email, how ironic that the coalition's timely effort to prevent the use of Dominion BMDs did not produce an all-hand-marked paper ballot election, which would have stopped Powell's fact-free conspiracy theories in their tracks. Of course, uh, it wouldn't have stopped uh, her theories. She would just have found something else, something else to lie about, something else to make up out of whole cloth. 
as based on your welcome, her bastardized uh, version of my reporting at bradblog.com that she has been cribbing and lying about now for some time. Marilyn Marks, the founder of the Coalition for Good Governance uh, and the plaintiff in the longstanding legitimate lawsuit in Georgia, uh, trying to get rid of Georgia's terrible Dominion voting system. She's also a frequent guest on this program. She told me this morning after Powell kept referring to her lawsuit during the uh, uh, during the hearing today, during oral arguments, uh, that she was very frustrated to see that, to see them now referring to her case that she has worked on for so long trying to get rid of these machines. That was opposed by Republicans for years. Anyway, Marilyn Marks tells me today, quote, we had hoped that the federal court was going to grant relief prior to the election to require an auditable, verifiable system that would avoid such controversies and challenges Mark said, we will nonetheless continue to fight on to protect future elections. We are talking we are taking our case to the state's political leaders now to seek immediate changes to try to protect the January elections. Thank you very much, Marilyn Marks. As you may know, I, too, have called on Republicans to join with Democrats to demand handmarked paper ballots only. For use in the January runoffs, hopefully hand-counted hand-marked paper ballots, hand-counted in public on election night to avoid all of these nightmares and get the Dominion voting systems out of the state entirely. But few, if any, of those Republicans have taken up that call. You can support the coalition's critical work in this area uh, at their uh, by checking out their website at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. But we must move to hand-marked paper ballots at the very least, because even then, if it, even well now as it is, if a if an election is perfectly run, is perfectly secure, if the people can't know that it has been, we end up exactly where we are right now. If an election is run on hand-marked paper ballots that are hand-counted in front of everyone on election night, then we can have confidence in the results. Meanwhile, all of the remaining efforts to overturn the election and reverse the will of the electorate by Team Trump are running out of time to succeed. On Tuesday, the nation will reach the so-called safe harbor deadline the date by which all state-level election challenges are supposed to be completed. Emphasis on uh, supposed to be, uh, as we'll discuss in a bit. Then on uh, December 14, the Electoral College will cast its votes, making any attempt to overturn the results of the election nearly impossible, says the New York Times. I would emphasize, yes, nearly but nothing is impossible when you do not give a damn about the rule of law or the Constitution or democracy or the health and well-being of the American people. And this failure of a president very obviously does not. Uh, we're going to get to more evidence of that after a quick break here. And if I can get to them today, uh, maybe some more of your calls on all of this. My phone number is 818-985-5735. Uh, hey, did you happen to catch Trump's latest super spreader loser rally in Georgia on Saturday? Do you think it helped or hurt him 
uh, hurt his party's chances specifically of hanging on to control of the U.S. Senate when Georgia votes in those two U.S. Senate runoffs on January 5. Uh, got a thought on that or any of these other things? Give me a shout. I'll try to get to them, uh, though no promises. Still got a lot to cover ahead on the broadcast. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the broadcast. <laughs> Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Brad. Bradblog.com slash donate. That's Bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. We will never surrender. We will only win. We're going to win. We always win. Somehow we find a way to win. Because all I do, all I, all I, all I, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money in my mind, I can never get it up. And every time I step up in the building, everybody's go up. And they stay there. And they say there. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Yeah, at the top there, uh, well, before the song, uh, that was Donald Trump in Georgia over the weekend promising to quote unquote win a second term. That was him on Saturday night saying that he never gives up. He will never surrender. They will win. Uh, At this point, I guess he pretty much means they will steal a second term. Uh, that was him in Georgia at that rally while playing the victim at a nearly two-hour-long rally that was supposed to be for Georgia's embattled incumbent Republican senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, who are up against John Ossoff and um, uh, Raphael Warnock uh, in January, uh, as uh, the two Republicans fight for their lives in the upcoming January runoff. Uh, But almost all of that nearly two-hour rally was about Donald Trump and what a victim he is. Don't believe me? He actually said this. We're all all victims. Everybody here, all these thousands of people here tonight, they're all victims, every one of you. Yeah, they're all victims. Anyway, we'll work our way back down to Georgia in a moment. If you want to ring in on whether uh, that rally actually helped or hurt the GOP's chance of hanging on to the Senate majority in January, you can give me a call, 818-985-5735. And I will try to uh, get to them later if I can. But let's head up to uh, Michigan first today, where uh, contrary to winner Donald Trump, he, he continues to lose in court case after court case after court case, now having lost in about uh, 50 losing cases, including some more losses today. A lawsuit challenging Michigan's election results was thrown out on Monday by a federal judge. That's the latest of dozens of cases that have been dismissed or dropped, according to AP. U.S. District Judge Linda Parker said the lawsuit alleging widespread irregularities in Joe Biden's victory over Donald Trump in Michigan was was uh, was filed on November 25. That is two days after Michigan's certified state results. This case represents well the phrase 
The ship has sailed, Judge Parker said. The lawsuit filed on behalf of a group of voters, not by the Trump campaign itself, which has not alleged fraud in its court filings. Uh, This lawsuit claimed that Biden benefited somehow from fraud. It sought to reverse the certification and pound all the voting machines for inspection. The judge described that request uh, that requested relief as, quote, stunning in its scope and breathtaking in its reach before she tossed the case. The lawsuit seems to be more, quote, about the impact of their allegations on people's faith in the democratic process and their trust in our government, said Judge Parker, who is an Obama-appointed federal judge. Plaintiffs ask this court to ignore the orderly statutory scheme established to challenge elections, to ignore the will of millions of voters' votes. This the court cannot and will not do, she wrote, adding, the people have spoken. Ouch. But if you think it's only Democratic-appointed judges dismissing these cases, well, think again. There, there were more devastating rulings over the past few days from Republicans, including those appointed by Donald Trump himself. Uh, and, and by the way, this was not the only court loss for Team Trump on Monday. Another federal judge ruled from the bench that Sidney Powell's so-called Kraken lawsuit released the Kraken. Uh, that was supposed to be so big and huge and overreaching that it just could not be defeated. It would expose the entire scam that was carried out to steal the great state of Michigan for Joe Biden over Donald Trump, who legitimately won it, except for the steal. Well, <clears throat> that case was dismissed from the bench out of hand on Monday because, well, it was so late and it was so bad and it was in the wrong court of law. Entirely. But other than that, Judge Timothy Batten, a George W. Bush appointee to the federal court, said that Powell's plaintiffs lacked standing. They waited too long to file the suit and that the issue should be litigated in state court, not federal court. The judge said about uh, uh, Powell in that other case and, and the plaintiffs, quote, they asked the court to order the secretary of state to decertify the election results as if such a mechanism even exists. And I find that it does not. Well, Judge Pat Batten in this other case uh, said something similar. Uh, Meanwhile, as we spent no small amount of time reporting and discussing with our guests last week on this program, all of this continues to become more dangerous and more menacing as the MAGA set is finding out that their president, newsflash for you, your president has lied to you, lied to you about that whole winning thing. Even if uh, those folks don't yet realize it, um, he's also lied to them about massive voter fraud, stealing the election from him. That's why they're not that's why they're not uh, talking about it in court, in federal court when they file lawsuits. And yes, it is getting dangerous. A crowd of armed individuals swarmed outside the personal home of Michigan's top election official on Saturday night, menacing and uh, verbally attacking her with Trump's lies about election fraud. In a statement, Michigan Secretary of State 
Uh, Jocelyn Benson said, uh, quote, as my four year old son and I were finishing up decorating the house for Christmas on Saturday night and he was about to sit down and watch how the Grinch stole Christmas. Dozens of armed individuals stood outside my home shouting obscenities and chanting into bullhorns in the dark of night. Well, there you go. There's the MAGA mob, I guess. I know over on Fox News they love to talk about the Democratic mob, the, the Black Lives Matters mob. Apparently it's the MAGA mob that actually shows up at officials' houses in the middle of the night with guns to harass them as they are home alone with their children. I wonder if that will spark Sean Hannity's outrage tonight on Fox News. What do you think, Des? Somehow I doubt it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and remember, last week we spoke with uh, terrorism researcher Colin Clark of yep. the Sufon Center, and yep. he pointed out that one of the things that the U.S. shares mm-hmm. with uh, Middle Eastern countries that have lots of unrest is the access to firearms, and that is something that pretty much no other country and no other insurgency in history has quite as much much access to firearms across the country as before. So yeah, as it's, we it's do a here. dangerous thing. And, and uh, he said that he thought he would, after uh, covering every single uh, insurgency around the world since World War II, he said he never thought he would see an insurgency actually developing in his own uh, home country of the U.S., um, Secretary Benson in Michigan in Michigan uh, said the incident was, quote, an extension of the noise and clouded efforts to spread false information about the security and accuracy of our elections that we've all endured in the months since the polls closed on November 3. Those unhappy with the results of the election have perpetuated an unprecedented, dangerous, egregious campaign to erode the public's confidence in the results of one of the most secure, accessible, and transparent elections in our state's history, she said. Uh, she also struck a defiant note. She said, quote, nothing about the incessant and graphic threats made outside my home and those that flood my social media accounts will deter me. She said, my team uh, will not be deterred, nor more than the 1,600 election administrators across the state of Michigan uh, will not be deterred from doing our jobs. The Michigan Attorney General... Uh, And the Wayne County prosecutor both released a statement condemning those individuals, quote, anyone can air legitimate grievances to Secretary Benson's office through civil and democratic means. But terrorizing children and families at their own homes is not activism, they said. No, of course not. It is terrorism. And that's exactly what is meant uh, by these actions to terrorize, to terrorize public officials for doing their job and doing it well and, frankly, heroically in the middle of a pandemic. The AG and the prosecutor went on to say this disturbing uh, behavior masquerading as protest should be called out for what it is and roundly condemned by citizens and public officials alike. Well, I agree. They should call it for what it is. It's terrorism, period. Look it up. The concerns from the uh, Democratic Miss, uh, Democratic Secretary of State in Michigan echoed comments by Georgia's Republican election officials last week, charging that this has to stop before someone gets killed. Uh, on Monday, Georgia's Republican Trump-supporting Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger attempted to stay focused on his job 
uh, at the state's capitol where he announced the third statewide count of all ballots in the state has now been completed. And yes, Donald Trump still lost the election. It's been a long 34 days since the election on November 3rd. We have now counted legally cast ballots three times and the results remain unchanged. Today, the Secretary of State's office will be recertifying our state's election results. Then the safe harbor under the United States Code to name electors is tomorrow, and then they will meet on December 14th to officially elect the next president. The president has his due process rights, and those are available to him. It's time we all focus on the future and growth. I know there are people that are convinced the election was fraught with problems, but the evidence, the actual evidence, the facts tell us a different story. So evidence and facts, we're back to that again. What good will that do? Evidence and facts. We live in a post-evidence, post-fact world, don't you know? Brad Raffensperger, who, by the way, along with Brian Kemp, is are turning out to be extraordinarily unlikely heroes, given that uh, both of them have helped to suppress the vote across the state for years, given that both of them, by the way, were uh, in favor of these uh, voting machines that we have uh, rallied so long against. And now Republicans are finally finding the problems with those systems. In any event, that comes after a rather extraordinary incident occurred on Saturday morning in Georgia and a rather illegal one at that carried out by the president of the United States himself. Donald Trump called Republican Georgia Governor Brian Kemp on Saturday morning to personally urge him to persuade the state legislature to overturn Joe Biden's victory in the state and asked the governor to order an audit of absentee ballot signatures in his latest brazen effort, an effort by the president of the United States to interfere in the 2020 election. Hours before Trump was scheduled to hold a rally in Georgia that night, theoretically, on behalf of the state's two GOP senators, Trump pressed Governor Kemp to call a special session of the state legislature for lawmakers to override the results of the voters and to instead appoint electors who would back Donald Trump at the Electoral College. Trump also asked the governor to demand an audit of signatures on mail ballots, something that Kemp has previously noted uh, he has no power to do. He has asked for one to be done, but he doesn't have the power to order it. Thankfully, Brian Kemp declined the president's entreaty. According to uh, two sources who are familiar with that conversation, the governor later referred to the conversation with Trump uh, on Twitter, noting that he told the president that he had already publicly advocated for a signature audit. But this latest example of Trump's extraordinary personal effort to overturn Joe Biden's win came as his legal team has already met with resounding failures in its attempt to use the courts to upend the election. On Friday, the president and his allies, as I noted, suffered one legal defeat after another, after another, after another, including decisive rejections in Arizona and in Nevada, 
on their claims that there was fraud and other irregularities. But as Josh Marshall notes at uh, Talking Points Memo, what Donald Trump did in calling the uh, the governor of uh, the state of, of Georgia and telling him to overturn the results is, in fact, a crime. That is a crime. Despite the fact that Kemp, uh, a Trump supporter and a champion vote suppressor himself, he refused Trump's tr- entreaties, but that does not make it any less of a crime. As Josh writes, these are literally crimes. I don't mean moral lapses or things that went wrong. They're crimes. If I call someone up at the Board of Elections in New York and try to convince them to change the vote numbers or to throw away ballots, that is a crime. I would certainly be charged with a crime, he writes. They're saying no to my entreaties uh, does not absolve me of that crime. The higher up you are on the totem pole, the graver a crime it is because your chances of success are far greater. Again, he writes, these are crimes. We've become numbed to it because it's the president, because it's become routine, because it seems desperate and ridiculous. But failure is not a defense. He says asking a public official to change the results of an election is a crime. There is no legal argument here. This isn't legal under Georgia law. It's a crime. Just because you butter it up with a bunch of freedom and Constitution talk, it's still a crime. Correct. But, of course, uh, as president, he can apparently do all the criming that he wants, it seems, We'll see what happens in about 45 days when he's no longer president and uh, if he hasn't pardoned himself by then, uh, which may or may not be legal either. I hope to discuss that more uh, on the show uh, in the days ahead, hopefully on tomorrow's broadcast. But the president's attempt to pressure Kemp comes amid these uh, very high political stakes in Georgia right now with the U.S. Senate incumbents, both Republicans, facing runoff elections against Democrats on January 5 that uh, will determine which party controls the upper chamber. Trump headlined a uh, campaign rally, which you might have seen on Saturday for Leffler and uh, Senator Leffler and Senator Perdue in the state on Saturday night. His first major political event since before the November 3 election. And as you can imagine, that nearly two hour long rally in Valdosta, Georgia. Aside from being a COVID-19 super spreader event, it was also a virtual nonstop whining and victim fest all about him. It was barely about Leffler and Purdue, who each received literally about 30 seconds on stage to make their own remarks. During the uh, during the in the middle of the president's remarks, literally about 30 seconds while he spoke with for almost two hours. And as they were speaking, by the way, they were drowned out by shouts from the MAGA mob to fight for Trump, fight for Trump. He uh, mercilessly Trump did mercilessly attacked Republican Governor Brian Kemp, who he had tried to strong arm just hours before that morning. And Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, Trump said your governor could stop stop all of this very easily if he knew what the hell he was doing. Adding, so far, we haven't been able to find the people in Georgia willing to do the right thing. The right thing, apparently, is uh, 
overturning the will of the people when it comes to Donald Trump. But even if they wanted to steal the election for him, Kemp insisted, he does not have the authority to do so. Would any of this actually help Republicans win in January? Maybe. There's a lot of Republicans who are very, very concerned that the more Donald Trump talks about uh, problems with the voting system and the election being rigged, that it's going to lead people to stay home, lead Republicans to stay home, figuring, oh, it's all going to be rigged. Why should I bother to vote? That's the conventional wisdom uh, among uh, Republican uh, concern trolls, I guess. I don't know. I see it differently. I actually think their turnout will be pretty good in January because I have found over my nearly 20 years of covering this stuff that the more people hear about concerns about our voting systems, at least the legitimate concerns, they think these are legitimate concerns, uh, then it actually makes people want to work harder to make sure that they vote and that their vote gets counted. So I don't know. I, for one, think it's going to be an uphill climb for those Democrats in January. Maybe you feel differently. 818-985-5735. But here's the thing. As Trump has lost case after case after case, as he continues to lose case after case after case, um, even from uh, Republican uh, judges, this one, I got to share this one. This is from Wisconsin. Uh, this was just after a GOP uh, majority uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court earlier last week had denied one Trump challenge five to four uh, with a right wing judge crossing the aisle to uh, join the courts for liberals. This was a second case on Friday in Wisconsin. Uh, And the opinion here is from Justice Brian Hagedorn. He's a former president of the right wing Federalist Society. He wrote in his ruling, which, by the way, had only one dissenter this time. He wrote, quote, the real stunner here is the sought after remedy in this case. We are invited to invalidate the entire presidential election in Wisconsin by declaring it null. Yes, the whole thing, he wrote. And there's more. He said with an exclamation uh, point, he said, we are told enjoin the Wisconsin Election Commission from certifying the election so that Wisconsin's presidential electors, uh, electors can be chosen by the legislature instead and then compel the governor to certify those electors. He says, at least no one can accuse the petitioners of timidity. Such a move would appear to be unprecedented in American history, he wrote, this conservative judge in Wisconsin. He said one might expect that this solemn request would be paired with evidence of serious errors tied to a substantial and demonstrated set of illegal votes. Instead, he writes, the the evidentiary support rests entirely upon unsworn expert reports of a former campaign employee that offers statistical estimates based on call center samples and social media research. This petition, he wrote, falls far short of the kind of compelling evidence and legal support we would undoubtedly need to countenance the court-ordered disenfranchisement of every Wisconsin citizen. Now, that's coming from a very right wing judge in Wisconsin. But, you know, stealing a second term, that's a a secondary concern to Donald Trump. 
He's raised $207 million uh, as of this weekend after asking supporters to help him fund this avalanche of legal defeats. So far, all of this has cost him $8.8 million. That's about a, qu- a quarter of, of, of that has been spent on text messaging ads to get more money. All the rest of that's, you know, by and large going into Donald Trump's pocket. You suckers, you magamog suckers. But with all of that, here's why you should never, ever take your eyes off of this monster, no matter how dead you think he is. Last Friday, we told you about that case out of uh, a case out of Pennsylvania where U.S. Congressman Mike Kelly and some state lawmakers argued that the law that Pennsylvania lawmakers passed late last year to expand absentee voting, that that was actually in violation of the state's constitution. Now, never mind that those state lawmakers who are bringing this case, who are plaintiffs, that some of them actually voted for that law that they are now claiming to be unconstitutional. Now they want it overturned and they want the entire election in the state thrown out along with it, just like we saw in Wisconsin. Now, they were roundly rejected for that in a lower court, if only because they waited too long to bring the case after they had decided they didn't like the election laws. If that case was brought earlier uh, before the primaries where it was used without challenge, then maybe they might have had a chance. But they waited until after they lost an election to say, yeah, we don't like that law. Well, they appealed that ruling last week to the U.S. Supreme Court. And late last week, Justice Sam Alito said the court would, in fact, review this matter. He asked for the defendants to give their response to the plaintiffs by Wednesday. This week, that is the day after the so-called safe harbor uh, deadline on Tuesday, December 8, when all the electoral college disputes are supposed to be over, at least at the state level. uh, They're supposed to be over, according to state law, by Tuesday. And yet Alito asked for the response on Wednesday. Scheduling the response after the safe harbor day allowed a whole bunch of law experts to breathe a sigh of relief because it appeared that Alito was sort of kicking the can down the road until after it was largely too late to change the Electoral College results. Even Desi Doyen, as I recall, on Friday said she felt a little bit better after hearing about that scheduling from Alito. Well, Des, I hate to ruin your day uh, or anyone else's, but uh, (laughs) but on Sunday morning, news came that Alito had moved the date for the response to uh, Congressman Kelly's request for this emergency relief from December 9 to the morning of December 8. That is actually the safe harbor day. As UC Irvine election law expert Rick Hassan noted when the earlier announcement was made, he said the timing mattered. The fact that it was coming in after after the safe harbor day means that Alito was kicking it down the road. But now that has changed on Sunday morning. What does that mean? I don't know. As I noted last week when this news came out, I said, well, it was either him uh, trying to kick the can beyond the safe harbor day or Sam Alito didn't actually even know when the safe harbor day was. I doubt he listens to the broadcast when we announce it at the top of every show for the past several weeks. Uh, I know people think Supreme Court justices are geniuses, but I do not think Sam Alito is. So what does that change mean? Nobody knows. But I thought you should know about it. Uh, we will find out uh, as Tuesday goes on. Hassan cautions, either correctly or incorrectly, that he wouldn't read too much into this. He says maybe it's just showing more respect to the petitioners. Uh, and, well, 
But we don't know. He he still feels, Hassan does anyway, that the chances that the court grants any relief in this case are virtually zero. I don't know if you do or not. Uh, let me go ahead and do I have, I don't have time. All right. Let me go, go to a call here because I'm just blowing through all of the breaks, blowing through everything else. My apologies. Sorry, Desi. Sorry, Ricky. Let's let's get to. Uh, well, we only have time now for one very quick one. Am I right? Which means I think we got to go to Mo. Yes. As ever. OK. Hey, Mo in Long Beach. How are you, brother? You holding up? OK. Real good, Brad. Now, 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 Brad, I don't want you to get jealous now, uh, but Donald Trump <laughs> has done more yeah. to bring attention to voter suppression and election fraud yeah. than you've done in 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Morris. No, you're absolutely right. And what I actually hope is that I hope that there are a few people uh, within the Republican Party who are looking at these concerns being brought up and who are looking at Georgia and realizing that, you know, they've counted all the ballots across the state three times, that counting comes out time after time exactly the same. But they can't know if a whole chunk of those were actually uh, represent the will, the intent of the voters because they were printed out by computers via touchscreen machines that may or may not actually reflect the way voters wanted to vote. I hope they notice that. I hope they notice that companies like Dominion and the much bigger one that supports a lot of Republicans, ES&S, have no business being in our public elections. Let's get them out entirely. Hoping there are a few who have noticed that uh, and that will continue this fight even after Donald Trump gets his ass kicked out of the White House. All right, we got to get out. Sorry, running late all over. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator this week, Ricky Herrera, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to hear from you. And you can find and follow and share me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>